is beginning in earnest now. So the idea of the harvest, yeah, it begins right here. The beginning of the harvest. But also on the day that the law was given, God gave Moses the law on that day, 3,000 people died. But by the end of Acts chapter 2, it says 3,000 people were born again. Why? Because the law brings death. And the Spirit brings what? Life. Time and time again, the Bible shows us how precise God is. That example Pastor Daniel just shared, the parallel between the law being given and the Holy Spirit coming to the people. That's just one of many examples of God's faithfulness. He brings life to the world. He's offering it to you today. And not just forgiveness of sins, although that's incredible on its own. You are being offered a new life a better life with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Acts chapter 1 as he continues his message, The Gift of the Spirit. Jesus is I think we have a tendency to think that in a lot of ways, spiritual growth is like that scene in the Matrix where Neo is getting all the computer upgrades. I can do jujitsu, you know? I can do Muay Thai. You know, it's like you think you just download the program and all of a sudden you walk in that stuff. That might be cool for the matrix that when you're plugged into a machine and you're getting things downloaded in your brain. But in the way the spirit of God works, when he wants to transform your life, he puts you in a situation where you have to choose to do a different thing than you would normally do. And most of us hate that because it's hard enough just to make it through every day, let alone let God do a huge heart work in us. One of the things I tell people all the time, I'll tell you, I always know what God's working in my life by what's making me frustrated. Because I would love to say that I'm always so willing for God to change my life, but whatever makes me frustrated, whatever gets me a little angry, those are the areas where I go, that's where God is working in my life. When every time I'm like, that just makes me so mad, right there, I'm like, okay, that's the curriculum that I'm in right now. Because normally, I do not believe that By default, many of us are really open for what God wants to do. And that's why the idea of being baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire, it's this, God wants to refine you. And so if right now, if you're going through stuff that's frustrating, that's challenging, you can either resist what's happening, and it's still going to happen anyway, no matter how much you're fighting against it, or you can choose to surrender to it and say, God, like a great artist, You are doing a work right now. And sometimes God uses the hammer and chisel, knocking off big parts of your life. Other times it's just the steady rub of the fine graded sandpaper. And I don't know which one's worse. You know, sometimes I think the slow grind is worse, right? But God loves us enough to receive us just as we are, and he loves us too much to keep us like this. So God's doing a work of transformation, and ultimately for the apostles, Jesus said it was good that he went away because the helper would come, and he's telling them now, listen, whatever you do, 
don't leave Jerusalem until you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now you have to ask yourself a simple question. Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Now we're gonna talk more about this, but look at what happens next. As we continue on in the story, in verse six, notice what it says. Therefore, when they had come together, this is Acts chapter one, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the father has put into his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, what's beautiful here is the apostles are wanting something different than what Jesus is wanting to give them. He says, listen, don't go anywhere until you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they're like, hey, so Lord, so now are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Are you going to kick out those Romans? Like, get rid of them. We're going to establish a righteous kingdom right here, right now. We're going to have no oppression from the Romans. See, they're interested in an earthly kingdom, but God is interested in doing something different. Now, I bring this up because, guess what? People, situations change, different generations, but by and large, people make the same mistakes. And a lot of times, we think that Jesus is going to erect an earthly kingdom right now. You know, like, Lord, are you going to like fix this whole thing and eradicate this and this? And Jesus is like, well, hold on. There's something else I'm working on here. And that's why he says, he's like, listen, it's not for you to know the times the Father's kept. It's like, don't worry about that. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be witnesses unto me. I would say it this way, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit gives power for mission. The Spirit gives power for mission. Now, I think what's powerful about this is, of course, the Bible teaches that when a person believes in Jesus, no one can call upon the Lord unless the Spirit of God is in them. But in a lot of ways, the baptism, as it is explained here, like the disciples already believed in Jesus. But this baptism is about something different. And notice it says, you will receive power when the Spirit has come upon you. And then you will be witnesses unto me. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is about God's empowerment for the mission that God has called us on to. So it's, as you read the scriptures, it seems to be different than the ability to believe in Jesus. Now this is empowerment to fulfill the calling that God has on our lives. And so I believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is incredibly important. Because we need the power to be able to fulfill the calling that God has on our lives. Now, again, I said it earlier. I'm going to say it again. For some people on the day you got saved, you were baptized in the Holy Spirit. But for some of us, it happened at later times. And for some of us, you're like, I believe in Jesus. I've actually never been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Right? Now, again, the timing doesn't matter. It's the reality of it that's what matters. Right? But Jesus is saying here, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. Now, that word witness is the Greek word that we get the word martyr from. Now, when we think of a martyr, we think of somebody who gives up their life because of their testimony of their faith. But in a sense, all of us are called to be martyrs, whether we actually lose our lives on the side of eternity or not. Because Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you need to what? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. He who desires to save his life will lose it. And he who gives up his own life for my sake and the gospel will find it. So all of us are called to be living sacrifices. Now, remember earlier we talked about how we want 
transform lives. We just actually don't want to be there when we have to make different decisions. It's the same idea is that part of what God invites us to is to die to our self-styled versions of our lives so that we can be made alive to the life that he has for us. One of the greatest struggles I think that we have is to trust that God's ways are indeed better than our ways. That God's purposes are indeed better than our purposes. But when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus, in a sense, you die to your own version of your life and you become made alive to the version of your life that God has for you. In a sense, we die to our own dreams that we can be made alive to God's dreams. Right? And so this idea that you will be witnesses unto me, that you will be martyrs, you will be people who live their life in a different way than you would have lived on your own. And he says that you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and where right where they were, in Judea, which was the greater area, and Samaria, which was the greater area, and into the ends of the earth. So there's these concentric circles on where the mission happens. It happens locally, and then it happens regionally, and then it moves on out, and then it ultimately moves to the end of the earth. So the baptism of the Spirit gives this power for mission. Now you got to ask yourself, well, what's the mission? I'm so happy you asked. I want to read to you Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. I want you to write it down. I want you to memorize this. They call this the Great Commission, right? It's Jesus talking to the church. What's the mission, right? And Jesus said it this way. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all these things that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. See, I, I memorized that one. It's a good one. You want to have that one memorized. Now, what I love about the Great Commission is verse 18 tells us that the mission that Jesus have can never fail because Jesus has all authority. How cool is that? Like, it's not like God sends us on a fool's errand. He's like, listen, this is ground in the fact that I have authority over everything. There's nothing I don't have authority over. In heaven and on earth, all authority is mine. And then the beauty of it, as you are joining Jesus in his mission that can't fail, when you get to verse 20, he tells you that no matter what, you're going to get to have fellowship with God because Lord, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How cool. Not only is it a can't lose proposition, but you get to have fellowship with the Lord all the way because he's like, no matter where you go, no matter what it looks like, I'll be with you. Right? So you have fellowship with God in the midst of the mission. But what is the mission? It says, go therefore... Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all those things I command you. Now, you guys notice there's four verbs there, right? There's go, make disciples, baptizing, and teaching. Now, in the Greek language, and we don't notice it in the English, one of those verbs is the imperative. This is the thing you're supposed to do. And then three of them, what they call the subordinate clause, which you get to do the imperative by doing these three things. Now, what do you think is the imperative? Most people would say go because it's in first place. But actually, and I don't knock you for it. I would have said the same thing until I learned this. Really, the imperative is to make disciples. And you make disciples by going, baptizing, and teaching. So what is making disciple? Making a disciple is connecting someone to Jesus. 
Our job is not to make disciples to us. Like, have you ever noticed, we're never trying to make you a disciple of Crossroads. We want you to be a disciple of Jesus. And we think Crossroads is a great place to be a disciple of Jesus. But we don't want to connect people to us. We want to connect people to the Lord. A disciple is somebody who learns from, who surrenders their life to, who sees somebody as the authority in their life. And we believe that when a person is a disciple of Jesus, they're learning from Jesus, and we make disciples by going. Now, where are you going? Everywhere. So when you go to work, when you go to school, when you go to your job, right? When you go to the grocery store, when, when you go to, you know, to, to, to the sports field, when, when you go to get coffee 18 times a day, right? Wherever you go, the reason you're going is to make disciples. We also make disciples by baptizing. As a church, we love to invite people into the waters of baptism to make that public declaration of what God has done. But don't miss the fact that it doesn't say baptizing with water, it just says baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm surprised oftentimes that we don't talk more about the baptism of the Spirit. And then, of course, we do it by teaching all the things that Jesus commanded us. If you were to boil down Jesus' teachings to the simplest baseline, what would it be? Believe in me and love one another. And I'll be honest with you. It is really that simple. You believe in me and you love one another. And what I love so much about that is God has given us his spirit that we might be able to do that. That's what it's all about. The spirit of God is given that we can believe upon Jesus. And because of the fruit of the spirit is love. The greatest of these is love. We can learn how to love one another. So the baptism of the Spirit gives power for mission. Now, as you turn to Acts chapter 2, we're just skipping some verses there. There's some other things that went on there. But notice what it says in verse 1 of Acts chapter 2. It says, And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now I would say it to you this way, that the Spirit brings gifts. I love that. How many of you were raised where when you go to someone's house, you should always bring a gift with you? Yeah, that's a very biblical position, actually. Because when the Spirit shows up, he brings gifts with them. Now, you notice what's going on here. It says that when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Now, you might not realize, but if you read the scriptures, the day of Pentecost in the Bible is also called the, the Feast of Weeks. It was 49 days. It was 50 days after the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So really what you have here is the idea of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you know, the Passover ceremony. Jesus was crucified at that time, right? And then 49 or seven weeks, the next day after seven full weeks was the day of Pentecost. So obviously Pente is where you get the word 50 from. They call it the Feast of Weeks because after seven weeks, then they would have this, this festival that was called Pentecost. And really what Pentecost was, it's symbolic of two things. One, it was the beginning of the harvest. And two, it was the day that commemorated when the law was given. 
right? And notice he says, when the day of Pentecost had what? Had fully come. So what you realize is that the type and shadow of the Feast of Pentecost, what was also called the Feast of Weeks, now it's coming to its fulfillment. Why? Because on the day of Pentecost, the early church was really born in real time. Right? The Spirit is poured out. The church is beginning in earnest now. So the idea of the harvest, yeah, it begins right here. The beginning of the harvest. But also on the day that the law was given, God gave Moses the law on that day. 3,000 people died. But by the end of Acts chapter 2, it says 3,000 people were born again. Why? Because the law brings death. And the Spirit brings what? Life. So what you find here is, this is the fulfillment of everything that was told about the day of Pentecost is happening here. So when the day of Pentecost had fully come, notice they were all with one accord in one place. The church was together and they were unified. And then all of a sudden there was this sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. So the early church is together in a house. They're unified together. And all of a sudden there's this sound and it appeared divided tongues as a fire. And one sat upon each of them. So there's this image of these divided tongues of fire. And it says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the gift of tongues are a part of the day of Pentecost. Now, okay, let, let's, just, let's just put it all on the table. What's very challenging about this is that people often think, well, if the gift of tongues came on Pentecost, then everybody has to walk in the gift of tongues. How many of you ever heard that? How many of you guys realize that that's not in the Bible like that? All of you need to hear this. There's one spirit and there's a diversity of gifts, right? So because it happened this way on the day of Pentecost doesn't mean that's the way it has to happen for everybody, okay? So you have to realize that. So anytime someone says, unless you speak in tongues, you're not really baptized in the Holy Spirit. Bad Bible. Nope. Sorry. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. It happened other time in the book of Acts, but it is descriptive, not prescriptive. So in this case, there is the gift of tongues. Now, what makes this also more kind of complicated, and we'll get to this in a second, is actually what does it mean by the gift of tongues? And there's lots of debates about that. If we leave the debates on the side for now, what you learn is that when the Spirit comes, he brings gifts with him. Now, ultimately, what is the gift, the ultimate gift of the Holy Spirit? Is a transformed life. Ultimately, that is the gift. And if you don't believe me, listen to Galatians chapter 5. Verses 22 and 23. I've already quoted it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. So the ultimate gift of the Holy Spirit is a life that is transformed. A life that takes on these qualities of the fruit of the Spirit. If you were to ask anybody, when you look at that list, those nine attributes of the fruit of the Spirit, that is a beautiful life, right? A life that is full of self-sacrificial love. A life that is full of joy. A life that is full of a peace that comes from being a peace with God that is the peace of God. The ability to be long-suffering, which is the best definition of patience you've ever heard. Patience is learning how to suffer for a long time, right? You're waiting Fruit of the Spirit is kindness. You always know when someone's not in the Spirit when they're unkind. My bride always reminds me, Daniel, kindness matters. 
It's a fruit of the spirit. And sometimes with my big mouth, I get in trouble. She reminds me and does it gently. Why? Because the fruit of the spirit is also goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. You know when someone has surrendered their lives to the Lord and walking in the spirit because there's self-control. There's the ability to not do certain things that you want to do. That's a big struggle in our day and age, isn't it? We live in a culture that doesn't value self-control. So I was like, well, I just, I just did it. You know, I just wanted to do it. It's actually, you know, when someone is in the spirit because they have the ability to say, I wanted to do it, but I knew that it was wrong. I wanted to do it, but when God checked my heart, when I got that God pause, I chose to follow the Lord and not just the desires that I have. So the ultimate gift of the spirit is a transformed life. But God does give the individual gifts to express his love in the world. The ultimate life hack is the power and baptism of the Holy Spirit to transform a life. And as he shows up, he brings gifts with him. Jesus said, don't go anywhere until you're baptized in the spirit. And then we learned the spirit gives power for missions. And guess what? When the spirit comes, he brings gifts with him. All different gifts, but all with the same end. To build up the people of God and to express his love in the world. Now, before we get to that point, I want you to notice this. Look, as this story continues here, look what it says in verse 5, Acts chapter 2. It says, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because Everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we are born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And so they were all amazed and they were perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. Now, this teaches us that the work of the Spirit creates confusion. I wish it wasn't so. But when the spirit is at work, oftentimes confusion follows because what goes on is they hear the sound. Everybody who's in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, they hear the sound and they're like, what is going on? And they're drawn to this sound. And then all of a sudden they run into this early church who are now speaking as the spirit gave them utterance. And everybody is hearing them declare the amazing works of God, but everyone's hearing it in their own, the language of their origin. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are many, as you learned today, but that doesn't mean that everyone has every gift. Some may speak in tongues, some may have the gift of prophecy, and some may be adept at teaching. Each gift can be examined and discussed and critiqued, and have been. But you heard Pastor Daniel tell you what the true gift of the Spirit is, and it's for every single person. The gift of the Holy Spirit is a transformed life. 
Pastor Daniel's message today is just one of many he shared from a variety of books in the Bible. Would you like to explore more? Just visit JesusIsRealRadio.com to access our library of audio. You can also connect with Pastor Daniel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram through the links you'll find at the bottom of the page, JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com Click on the stations option in the main menu and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. You witnessed today the incredible gift given by Jesus to his followers. The Holy Spirit was given and thousands of people were saved. But after that incredible event, what happened? Tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share the next stories, experiences, and people of the Bible who were radically transformed by the Holy Spirit. There are many, and there are still many today being changed. You could be one of them. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Life Hack. Glance at the clock right now. Make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.